You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. One of the the PR guys, Tim, he thought it would be interesting if I spoke about my first CVE since I had been at Akamai for 20 years. It had more of a story behind it than I think Tim was expecting, so it was actually caused some mayhem, so uh, (laughs) I wrote it up and here I am. (laughs) That's Larry Cashdollar. He's a senior security response engineer at Akamai Technologies. Today we're discussing his recent blog post, Music to Hack To, my first CVE and 20 years of vulnerability research. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Well, I mean, let's dig into it. Can you sort of set the scene for us? So what era are we talking about and uh, where were you in your career at the time? So I I, I was studying computer science in the University of Southern Maine back in 1994, 95 era. And I was working for this small company in Southern Maine, in Portland, Maine, actually. And I was there as uh, an internet analyst. And I ended up getting a a position at uh, Computer Sciences Corporation. Now, for folks who don't know, Computer Sciences Corporation is a, uh, it's a, a large uh, consulting company where they hire folks to take care, or, or CSC to, to take care of their IT infrastructure. So at the time, uh, Bath Ironworks was, was contracted or had contracted CSC to, to handle their IT infrastructure. And I was looking to, to 
you know, get more of a broad view of the, the internet world and the computing world and CSC also paid more. So I got hired at CSC and the playground I had was what I called it was there was, they had my team managed over 3000 Unix systems. There was mm. anything from SGI machines to IBM AIX machines to HP UX machines. So I had this enormous pool of, of Unix systems to play with. And, you know, the first day on the job, my manager was giving me a tour of various buildings around Bath Ironworks, you know, because Bath Ironworks has a large campus. And he took me into one of these rooms where they had, I can't remember if it was a dozen SGI indie boxes. And uh, they were all sitting there humming along and, and they were working on a new uh, submarine program back then. And this was a room that they were going to start, you know, doing this development work and with 3D um, images. My manager sat down at one of the consoles and he, he says, you know, someday when you prove your worth, I'll give you a login on this. And me coming from a security background, I knew that uh, IREC systems had LP account and that LP account had no password. It had a valid shell, but you didn't need a, a password to log in. So you could simply walk up to one of these machines, type LP and hit enter. So what I did was I, I strolled up to one of the machines and I typed LP and I hit enter and logged in. And I looked at him and I said, thanks, I don't need one. <laughs> and he looked at me and his mouth dropped. And he's like, how did you do that? And I said, by default, IRX 6X machines don't have a password set for LP. You know, none of these machines are have, you know, passwords set on that account. So you can literally log in anyone who says the LP user and get a full desktop. So he looked at me and he said, would you do security for us? And I said, I was hoping you'd say that. So from then on, I was sort of like the penetration tester slash hacker kid uh, that was doing security testing. And one of the, the, the story goes is that we had this SGI Onyx 2. Um, for folks who don't know, this thing's about the size of a refrigerator. Yeah. Um, back then, it was, you know, it would cost between anywhere from $250,000 to half a million dollars depending on how it was configured. This one that we had had its own private room that it sat in with the raised floors and the air conditioning. And mm -hmm. it had a, a, um, a punch, a key code on the wall. You had to punch in a number that only a handful of sysadmins knew. Um, none of my team knew because we were only sysadmin level one. The only the sysadmin level threes had access to it. So if you needed something from that room, you had to ask them to go get it for you. They wouldn't give you the code. Uh, you know, you had to ask someone, hey, can you go in this room and get me a new hard disk or whatever you needed and they'd go in and get it for you. And, um, yeah. the sysadmin who Dave, I think his name was, who had access to this room would taunt the rest of us, you know, the, the guys in my group, like, Hey, you know, someday maybe you guys will get root on the Onyx machine or you'll get an account on the Onyx <laughs> machine and, and I'll give it to you, you know, once, once you're maybe at my level of sysadmin, so, you know, this sort of bothered let, let me. me. Just like, let me, let me interject here, Larry, because for folks who, who aren't from this era, um, who may be unfamiliar with these silicon graphics onyx machines and 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 the 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 types of machines that SGI was putting out at the time. Um, you know, if you were working in in graphics or three d animation or really any any of these things that you could apply one of these machines to, the 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 type of processing power that you would need for one of these things, these machines were objects of desire. 
not only were they extremely powerful, but they were beautiful machines as well. Um, for, they, if you go, you know, look up a picture of one today, you'll probably say, oh, it looks like a computer from the late 90s or the early 2000s. So they look a little dated by today's standards, but take my word for it, at the time, these were extraordinarily sexy devices. Yeah, they were, they were the creme de la creme back then. Yeah. Uh, so, so to have access to the Onyx 2 was like the holy grail for my team and mostly me. I don't think the other guys really cared, but I, I just didn't like being taunted. So I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, I already know that I can log into that system with the LP account and get a shell on it because I know they didn't secure it. But I want to get root on this thing. So how can I, how can I get root on the Onyx? So I'm like, well, I can. I have another SGI system that I have access to that's near me in my in my lab, in my office that I had. I can, I can log into that system and just look around the operating system. And and back in the '90s, you know, it was, you know, when you attack the system, you were trying to, you know, get hack into the server and get root. You know, you were trying to get root so you can, you know, wipe your logs and and your access showing that you had logged in and hide your tracks. And that was the big thing to get root on a system was, for mm-hmm. black hats, and. So I knew, you know, what I what I should do is is look for set UID root binaries, which is binaries on systems that when you execute them as a normal user, they execute with root um, privileges. And I figured if I could find a binary with with set UID root permissions that I could somehow abuse to get it to do something that it wasn't meant to do, like write to a system file or execute a shell as root, I can I can get a root prompt on the machine and I would be all happy and have hacked into the system. So I saw this uh, looking around user S bin where most of the CUID root binaries lived back then. I, um, I saw this file called MIDI keys. Now MIDI keys had the set UID bit was set on it. And uh, it, I had never really heard of it before and was curious why, you know, what this binary was that needed a, a root access. So I, I ran it and on my screen pops up this little keyboard, it looks like a piano. And when you click the keys, it plays these little tunes, these little MIDI tunes, and you can save them. You could you could compose a little MIDI um, song and save it to disk. And I thought to myself, well, can I edit files with this? Can I can I save to uh, a file as root and possibly edit the password file? So I opened up open up the password file, added I put a zero in for my user ID for Larry, and then saved it, and then logged in again and I was root. I'm like, oh, I found a, a, a way to get root on the Onyx. So <laughs> I quickly log in the Onyx's LP, uh, forward an X window back to my machine and forward back a, uh, uh, execute the MIDI keys, bring it up, open up Etsy password, um, create uh, a Larry account, make my user ID zero, and then save it, log back into the Onyx and I have root. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've, I've hacked into the Onyx. I have a root prompt now. I hmm. should you know, set the password on the Onyx so it's not sitting there with, with a Larry login with no password. It's super insecure. So I type password to change the password. I'm like, oh, no, you know, my user ID is zero. I'm changing the password for root, not for Larry. So I go to back out and I hit control D, control D, thinking that I would back out of the password program. And instead, the IREC system saved my password as control D. So I changed oh the root password on the SGI Onyx 2 to control D. At this point, I'm like dreading it. I'm like, I, I turned white and I'm starting to sweat. And I'm like, shoot, I'm like, I got to go tell Dave, the sysadmin, who doesn't like me very much, that I just changed a password on the Onyx to, to Control-D and he's not going to be able to log into it. 
So I asked my friend Donovan, who is much bigger than I am. I'm small and five foot six. He's, you know, <laughs> six foot three. And I'm like, Donovan, I'm like, can you go tell Dave that I, I you know, change the root password on the Onyx system to control D and uh, if he could, you know, uh, fix it. And um, so Donovan's like, okay, sure. And Donovan came back like 15 <laughs> minutes later and he's like, dude, he's like, they are so mad at you. And I'm like, what, what happened? He's like, when you change the password, they were in the middle of giving the Navy a demo of the 3D modeling on the Onyx 2. And he said there was an admiral standing there. There were there was upper management standing there and they couldn't log into the Onyx. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm like, oh I'm going to get fired. <laughs> I'm like, son of a I'm like, that's it. I'm like, I'm going to lose my job. So uh, I, you know, Donovan came back a little while later. He's like he's like, you know, Dave managed to change the password. He had a he had a prompt or a login open on his desktop to the onyx so he changed the password to back to the original and i'm like okay i'm like my my manager's going to be here you know in a half an hour and tell me it's i'm going to get fired and lo and behold a half an hour passes and my manager shows up and he's like i, I need to meet with you with my manager in his office and i'm like ah crud i'm like here we go mm-hmm. so i go to my to his manager's office and i notice on the wall it has a sand security poster and I'm like, this guy's like knows about security. He's into, you know, he's aware of the Sand Security Conference, and you know, it has all of the the posters all decked out with all of these like, you know, security uh, procedures and things that to harden your system and stuff like that, and and the newsletters that you can get from Sands. And I'm like, cool. I'm like, okay, well, this guy's aware of security, but I'm still gonna get fired. So I sit down, and he's like, okay. He's like, first thing we need to, you know, I need to tell you is that before you do anything like this again you need to tell me your manager and the person, the sysadmin who you're the machine, you're testing that you're going to be doing it. And when he's like, we mm. can't have an incident like this happen again. Example, the Onyx two. And he says, you, you disrupted an important demo. And he's like, but I understand security is important. He's like, I've been talking to these guys about security. And he's like, I I'm glad that you're actually, you know, out championing it, but I don't want you to, to actually break systems and, and, and get, you know, bring systems down. He's like, we can't have right. systems, you know, break because you're testing security. He's like, you have to do it in a safe manner. So he's like, you need to let me know. And at this point, are you thinking, he said again, he said again, he said, yes. he's, he's referring yeah. to the future. <laughs> yeah. My brain is going, you still have a job. You still have a job. Right, he said right, again, right. that means you're here. Right. And, and then, you know, he's like, so from now on, he's like, I want you to email me with a report of what you're testing when you're planning to test it. CC your boss. And he's like, CC the people that you're going to be asking to test. And he's like, if they give you permission to test, he's like, you know, you can go ahead and test, but he's like, you have to let them know. And they have to say, it's okay because you can't test when they're trying to do something and you mess it up. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you know, have a nice day. And I'm like, okay. So I walked out of there and I'm like, great. I'm like, I have legitimacy now. You know, I, I, he gave me a, a framework that I could work in to, to tell people, hey, you know, your your systems are getting a, a penetration test this week and you need to pick a day and a time when it's convenient for you for me to go and test your systems. Now, what this led to most likely is that folks would go ahead and try and lock their system down before then, but it did get them to secure the system before I tested it. So it was it was a win-win. They, they actually took security more serious. And then I still got to test the system. Now, it may not have been easy to get into, but at least it was fixed. So it was mm-hmm. a, I lucked out. It was a good, a good uh, opportunity and, and thing that had happened after I'd gotten into that trouble. Um, wow. So it was, it was, it was, it was fun. 
<laughs> so where where did that ultimately lead? I mean, what's what's the the, the sort of the connecting dots between that incident uh, and and where you are today, and and this bigger conversation about CVEs in general? Uh, that sort of that was like my first taste of blood. You know, it was like I I really enjoyed finding a vulnerability and and finding a, a way to exploit it, and then you know getting access that I wasn't supposed to have. And it, it made me like, I like to solve puzzles like that. So I started doing more, like before I had gotten that or found that vulnerability, I didn't know how folks found vulnerabilities. It was, you know, I was studying them, you know, the, the folks that I worked at with a company would always study these new vulnerabilities that came out and wonder, how did this person know to, where to look? How do they find this? And, you know, and then I realized you just have to look. You know, if you're not looking, you're not going to find anything. If you're looking, eventually you're going to find something. And you just have to know what to look for. You know, I knew what to attack. I knew to look at CUID root binaries. So I managed to find something that somebody hadn't looked at or found before. So that sort of gave me the, the, the mindset and the idea that if I look at other software and look for common programming problems or, or mistakes, I might find more vulnerabilities. And, and then that's what I've been doing for the last 20 years when I can did, did you ever have any more insights into that little MIDI keys program itself? I mean, you know, think just just for our listeners, uh, you know, MIDI is a, a protocol that uh, musical instruments use to communicate with each other. And and back in the late '90s, um, it was pr- not as ubiquitous on computers as it is today. I, I'd be I'd I'd guess that most systems today come with some sort of MIDI implementation just as a matter of course because it's 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 all over the place. But I, I'm just trying to imagine, you know, d- the, the folks who made this SGI the size of a refrigerator, um, you know, did there just happen to be a developer on that team who had a side hobby of, of hooking up, you know, playing with electronic keyboards at the time, you know, a, a Yamaha DX7 or something. And um, so that's why this was on this machine. Like, like what was it doing there? That I don't know. I I assume it was just you know another little bell and whistle to add to the IRIX portfolio of neat things you can do with the system, and mm. I, you know it it just it never occurred to me that there would be this music program on this on this operating system that that was pretty much meant for three D modeling. It I you know right. I, I didn't expect it, which is why I, I had to see what it was because it just seemed so out of place. Which is an interesting lesson in itself, right? Right. You know, and then I later found out on Bug Track after I had, I had published my findings to Bug Track that uh, some of the folks on there said if you change the editor uh, in your environment, your your environment variable editor to from Vi to bin shell, and you launch the editor from MIDI keys, it just spits out a root prompt. So you didn't even need to edit the password file; you could just pop out a root shell because it executes the the uh, Vi editor as root. So. <laughs> it was, it was even a quicker way to get root. Um, so it was, um, yeah, it was, it, you know, and I'm not sure why, why it was there and then why it was set UID root, but it was a fun find for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, let's fast forward to today. I mean, you, you and I have spoken on this program and, and other places many, many times. Yep. Um, you have a number of CVEs under your belt. Uh, what, what's the latest from you? Uh, I've been told it's, 305 is what I've been told. Um, I, I only have, I think I have only about 200 and something documented, but there are folks 
like I have a friend who who had started IBM X Force, and he had been tracking my vulnerabilities from day one. He actually mentioned to me over Twitter that he's like, I remember when you found that vulnerability, and it's like, oh yeah, you were you were running the database over over at IBM, tracking all these vulnerabilities. So of course you remember. So uh, so it was um, it was just something that I, I had done, and then now it's. Uh, well, I, I guess I got a bunch from WordPress plugins because I had done a little experiment there. But, you know, and then now it's more web application stuff is what I've been t- attacking more web application. And then uh, I still have a soft spot in my heart for um, temp vulnerabilities. I recently found a, a slash temp race condition vulnerability or uh, it was for Solaris 11 x86 uh, where their one of their utilities would create a file in slash temp, and then uh, it would chmod that file uh, to be world writable. So you could use that to chmod Etsy shadow and uh, change the password and get yourself to root. So I got a CV for that like two months ago. Mm. Um, and then I have two more, I think, temp vulnerabilities coming out next month for Oracle Solaris 11. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it was just fun. Yeah. Well, you know, when you look back on, on this incident in particular, you know, as, as a way, the, the sort of, you know, you got your start, it, it kind of set the hook for you, you know, set, exactly. set you on this path, right? Um, how has that informed the way that this played out and how it uh, informed the way that you look for these sorts of things? I mean, do you think there are dots to connect all the way back to that, that that, that really set you on this path and you still approach things in a similar way? Yeah, I, I think that I don't think if I had ever found that vulnerability, I don't believe I would be where I am today because that was a spark for me to say, okay, this is you've done this once, you now know where to look and, and what to look for, and you've you were able to find something just from looking. You can keep looking and find more things to to find security vulnerabilities in, and and from then on, I was always interested in, in finding security holes, and I remember in early 2000s, I would open up trade magazines and look through them for software that ran on Linux that you could get a free demo. And I would download the demo and I would look for vulnerabilities. And I would find, you know, either a temp vulnerability where there was race condition and you could elevate elevate privileges to root. Or, you know, there were some where they had, um, there was uh, code execution errors and things like that. So, so that was how I used to find vulnerabilities then. And then, um, Working in the Akamai CERT uh, in the last couple of years, when I had joined there, my then boss was like, you know, he's like, if you like breaking stuff, he's like, you should really look at WordPress plugins. Those things are full of holes. And I'm like, okay. So I started looking at those and uh, and found lots of vulnerabilities in those because there are just so many and didn't really have a process for checking the security of or the coding requirements for those plugins. So, you know, I ended up doing finding a lot of stuff with that and. Uh, I did a bunch with Ruby Gems, so it was just sort of like a, I don't know, like a prairie fire for me. That's that was the initial match. So, you know, I, I think something you and I have in common is is you know those of us who remember this era of computing. I think most of us have a certain amount of affection for it. You know, there were there were things that were harder um, than they are today, but. Um, uh, I think it's 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 easy to look back on those days fondly, um, and I'm wondering, you know, for folks who are getting started today, who the the folks who are, you know, perhaps we have students listening to us, or, or folks just starting out in their career, 
Um, who knows what the next 20 years is going to hold for them in terms of the changes that they're going to see, you know, similar right. to the changes from 20 years ago. And I'm wondering, do you have any insights there on the, you know, how the, those things from, from long ago are still informing the work you do today? Um, any tips or words of wisdom for the folks who are just starting out? Just be, you know, don't be afraid to fail and, and really just realize that you, you're, you're going to learn from your failures and you really want to just learn how to just Google stuff that you don't know, search for things. And just, you know, if you find something that you're interested in, try and find out as much as you can about it and try and, you know, look for things that could benefit your, if you're looking to find a vulnerability in it, I guess is what I'm trying to say is, um, you know, learn as much as you can about that thing and then don't lose your, your, your traction for, for learning new stuff. Um, I'm always learning new stuff and it gets more tiring as you get older, but in the, in your twenties and thirties, you know, you should just try and absorb as much as you can. And always check with the boss to make sure there isn't an admiral on site getting a demo before you do your stuff, right? Yeah. Don't do anything illegal. So make sure you've got permission <laughs> to do stuff. Our thanks to Larry Cashdollar from Akamai for joining us. His blog post is titled Music to Hack To, My First CVE and 20 Years of Vulnerability Research. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.